Hey everybody, welcome to the show today. Triple Up Politics here, Levon here, and of course, Sean. Say hello, Sean. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, it is. All right, so pretty extensive news this week. Um, a lot to do with uh, coronavirus because that's what's been going on. We have today, we're recording on the day of March 10th, that uh, the coronavirus relief package, $1.9 trillion was passed by Congress and $1,400 stimulus checks should be uh, start to circulate. We had new coronavirus guidelines by the CDC for vax- fully vaccinated people. That means, just a reminder, your first and second shot and waiting two weeks after your second shot. And honestly, maybe even three, <laughs> just to be sure. So they include uh, that you can congregate with um, people who have also been fully vaccinated. I think, what was it, five? Is it five? I can't remember the number of people. I, I don't remember the number of people. I just know that if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask if you're with other fully vaccinated folks. Right. Yeah. And Which um, I've, that... I've experienced a couple times this week, and it's super weird. It is. It is. God, yeah, it really is. And that you can congregate with people who are at low risk of severe disease, um, which is interesting that that, that's a guideline because uh, I guess some data is starting to come out about the viral load of of what the vaccines do to your body. But there's more data to sift through on that. And um, and yeah, we'll keep an eye on that, of course. All right, Sean, I'll turn it over to you. What other news do we have from this week? Yeah, I think the one that stood out to me this week was that several of the major pharma companies who are required to pay billions of dollars uh, worth of fines due to uh, the opioid crisis have come out saying that they're going to take advantage of tax tax breaks uh, related to those fines, as well as taking uh, COVID relief uh, related to lost income due to those fines. Uh, so I'm really struggling to figure out why we, the American taxpayer, are now funding big pharma for creating an opioid crisis, which we're already attempting to pay for in a multitude of ways with tax dollars. And once again, big pharma has uh, no real consequence to this. Uh, Johnson & Johnson being the largest of those uh, that have come out and said that, which, you know, some good press and then all of a sudden going back and screwing the taxpayer. Yeah. That's really interesting, huh? That they hide behind that, that good press of like, Oh yeah, we came out with single shot vaccine. We're not doing this other stuff over here. No, no, you're not seeing that. Yeah. It also just shows uh, what, what our system is really all about, right? The, the fact that we can, as a society, penalize these companies and then turn around and give them loopholes so that the the only penalty that we've leveraged on them we're paying ourselves right like it's just it's absurd uh so you get to kill millions of people through really false advertising uh and just predatory behavior and then we're gonna foot the bill for you in the end yeah on both sides of that right we paid the bills up front and now we're gonna pay your penalties on the back end and it's just uh, sickening to me screwed in every way yeah and very frustrating like you said and and so looking you know a year ago you know transitioning a little bit here we've been it's been a year since these lockdowns started happening since um the nba canceled their season mls 
um, MLB uh, canceled spring training. Uh, this is that week when things started like, ooh, going, going, um, headed towards the direction that we are now um, of why we are living the way we are. So, yeah, it was the week of March 10th through the 17th. These the lockdowns started happening. Businesses started closing. And so it's really, honestly, it's it, what's more, what's frustrating, um, kind of go with that trend line of frustrating with when it comes to coronavirus is um, you look over in Idaho that I saw this week and there are people burning masks. Why? You know, and I think about it, it's like I think about it like when we were dealing with this last year, when this first started last year. And if you saw this like the next year and, and it's like, of course, we're still there. Of course, we're still dealing with this. And it's like, then I think like, God, they didn't learn anything. They didn't learn anything. <laughs> they didn't learn a damn thing. We've been dealing with this for a year. And it's just like, yeah, it just hits you in the face that like, God, they, the people burning masks, like, yeah, throw it in the fire. Yeah. Why should I protect myself and other people? And that's, that's where I get to. It's like, we made a huge mistake in messaging masks. And saying that protects other people. <laughs> we should have like called it the ch- stay at home challenge or like the mask challenge, right? <laughs> That's what I feel like Americans respond to is, you know, like we'll pour, pour ice all over ourselves, right? Anyway, uh, we're, we're at month 12 of this. And I read, I remember reading an article last year that we could potentially be dealing with it for 18. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're on that way. Yeah. We're, we're easily 18 months into it. And I've, I think realistically we're, we're two years into the most of uh, the issue. Yeah. Um, although I, I really think it, I think we turn a corner towards the end of spring, beginning of summer. For sure. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been under that belief for a while, especially if, if the vaccine vaccination campaign goes well, uh, I, I, I just see it continuing to improve. Yes. The, pro- the problem is that, once again, all of the healthcare professionals are telling us, don't stop doing what we know works and, until we've actually vaccinated enough people to make it matter. Right. And, you know, a, again, when you're burning masks and eliminating all of the, the pandemic responses in Texas and Mississippi, we're, we're looking for an opportunity for the virus to take hold again and spread is how it feels. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's what's scary. And, you know, you, you talk into this idea of kind of the American way. It, it's just, it's so sad to me that this has been so politicized uh, when it really is just a, a public health issue that there's no reason for politics to be involved in any of this. And the fact that the Republican Party has decided to just piss all over uh, the rest of us uh, in terms of seemingly not to care uh, about the health and, and well-being of their fellow Americans just is really confusing to me and I think speaks to kind of the selfish nature of where we're at as Americans, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. capitalism plays into that. Ted Cruz is the perfect example of uh, Mr. Selfish and a leader in that party, but uh, it it's really scary to me uh, to see how selfish we are as a country. Yeah, and as we are trying to heal from this too, that, that we have this out from it. We have this, these vac- vaccinations, we have measurable evidence that we can get out of this, but then it's just, yeah, kind of like what I said last week. It, it's just, God, the re- these other states just want to cut off the parachute and, um, and put us in detention for the, for the next, you know, 
I don't know, year again, right? You know, and then it just like it keeps spiraling from there. It's like, and then this like prophecy of you know they they're controlling us with the masks. Then they could keep hitting on that point, right? That they are prophesizing that that the uh, government's gonna is overreaching. It's you know with you know, mandating masks, and so it just keeps cycling and going and and yeah, it's like the longer that goes on, the more the cycle continues. Yep, it's amazing that we are dealing with the same behavior in a whole group of grown ass adults that I have to deal with on a daily basis with an eight year old, right? The, <laughs> the fucking world does not revolve around you as cute as you may be. The fucking world does not revolve around. Except you. for one thing. They are not cute. <laughs> well, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, with that aside, let's get into our topic of the evening, our discussion of the evening about another issue that's uh, been uh, quite hammered home a lot by a certain group of people, voter fraud. So why don't you kick us off, Sean? Yeah, well, you know, this is really a continuation of our conversation last week, right? As, yeah. as we talked about kind of uh, conspiracy theories and misinformation and disinformation, you know, one, one of the, the prevailing uh, conspiracies, one of the areas of uh, most consistent misinformation has really been around voter fraud. Uh, and I think everyone has seen how that played out in the Trump years. And I thought it would be really worthwhile for us to, to take a little bit of a journey back and explore exactly how the Republican Party has really weaponized uh, misinformation and, and how how that process has gone from, you know, Florida and 2000 with Bush v. Gore all the way up to present day insurrection and murder on capital property. Yeah. So I think this is an issue that has really been at the forefront of American society forever. We as a country have disenfranchised people from the vote from the get go. Right. I mean, women, didn't have the right to vote. People of color didn't have the right to vote from the beginning of this country. And so it's not like disenfranchisement is new, uh, but I think the tactics that we're using and the purpose behind it um, is continuing to evolve uh, and worthwhile for yeah. us to look at. Kind of like, kind of like the virus and new variants. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A new way of attacking the immune system. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you know? Racism yeah. is a virus. Yeah. 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 And so I think it's, yeah, I think it's great that, you know, like we were saying to take a deep dive into this and where this began. And because as of right now, according to the Brennan Center, there are 253 voter suppression bills proposed in 43 states, 43 states. So, and, and kind of like what we were, we were talking about before is that it all kind of begins like what you're saying with Bush v. Gore, 2000 election and another riot called the Brooks brother riot. Yeah, so, you know, a, a lot of people remember Florida back in 2000, hanging chads and pregnant chads and kind of the legions of lawyers uh, that flocked to Florida uh, during the recount. And and one of the things that, that stands out to me was what is commonly referred to as the Brooks Brothers Riot. The reason for the name, a bunch of rich white guys, attorneys, and the like, staffers. Uh, political staffers all wearing their Brooks Brothers suits 
rioted outside of the canvassing board uh, in Miami-Dade County uh, to to literally shut down the recount. That was their whole goal, uh, and they used uh, violence and intimidation uh, to effectively uh, meet their their end game. Right? They mm-hmm. shut down the recount in Miami-Dade through uh, a violent uprising. Huh. Does that sound familiar? Mm. An, an attempt to overthrow an election with a violent mm. uprising. Yes. Uh, with some of the same actors, too. Yes. Yeah. Definitely some of the same actors. Uh, Roger Stone being among them. And, you know, Roger Stone openly admitted to paying people to participate in the Brooks Brothers riot. Uh, and <laughs> Of course. Yeah. And now, what do you know? We, we know that there are multiple people who have ties to Roger Stone who have been arrested and charged for their participation in an insurrection uh, at our at our national capital. So, yes, these players are, are common. They're a part of uh, kind of a what I would consider a radical side of the Republican Party. But that radical side of the Republican Party has been embraced for a very long time by the moderate wing of that party to do their bidding. Right. So Bush was more than willing uh, to accept the presidency after a recount is shut down, not just by the Brooks Brothers riot. Obviously, the Supreme Court got involved in that case uh, and made the ultimate decision. But uh, there is a real effect by shutting down that recount um, and in terms of not getting those votes counted prior to the Supreme Court shutting down the count. Uh, and so there, there is a real effect in terms of the outcome of that election. And this is exactly the same kind of stunt that was playing out on January 6th, right? Uh, uh, attempting to shut down a count of legally cast votes. Uh, one, the votes of our actual citizens and one of the Electoral College. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, the, the parallels across 20 years is just incredible. You're absolutely right, and um, and and that the fact is that these these same people are um, the same same play, uh, actors and or players or whatever you want to say are are present in both on both ends of this now, and yeah, it, it's it's creating this backdrop that that they have now, right? That the Republican Party, or you know, or what do you want to say, Trump Party, <laughs> is creating now. It's this whole cancel culture thing. It's these culture wars. Right. This is all they have left. They, they don't win the, with the ideas because the, the American people will reject them. So this is what they have left. They, you know, they say they cancel this, they cancel that. They're canceling this. They're canceling that. And they're canceling your votes. They're canceling you. And so <laughs> I think there's there's uh, that trend has been um, in that this whole time as well, that, um, you know, this. The liberals are coming, coming to take away your votes. They're communists. They, they are, you know, they hate America and they just want to take away your vote and ha- install a, you know, a, install their own dictator or whatever, right? Which is ironic. Um, <laughs> so I think that that backdrop that they're creating is is particularly interesting. And we saw that in CPAC. We saw, of course, re- uh, the attack on on pe- uh, minor- people that are minorities and. And of course, anybody that doesn't go along with their ideology. That was all the more present in CPAC. And so, like you're saying, it's it's this one fluid sort of um, attack on on a basic, really human right, uh, voting in our democracy. Yeah, well, I mean, voting in a democracy seems like one of the 
fundamental tenets of what democracy is, right? And I would argue that the Republican Party is not is not attempting to say that Democrats are stealing your vote. What what they are attempting to do is frame the Democratic Party as a party that wants illegals to vote and wants uh, felons and rapists and murderers to vote, uh, right? That That's what they turn people of color mm-hmm. into. Um, and I mean, for a long time, this was all dog whistle shit, right? They weren't blatantly saying it until Trump comes down those golden stairs and is willing to label Mexicans as rapists and murderers, right? And just blatantly put it out there. But, but this has been the storyline really since 2000 in the Republican Party is labeling anyone that votes for a Democrat, either a socialist, a communist, a felon, uh, an illegal alien, right? Like somehow we're coming from fucking Mars or something. <laughs> that is the that is the line uh, that they're or the storyline that they've been creating over this time. And really, it happened immediately after Florida. There was there was a clear line of sight from the Bush administration as soon as Florida happened, where he comes into office and immediately decimates the the Justice Department, right? just goes in and cleans house. So the Justice Department, which was really created uh, as a way to defend the Civil Rights Act and the Voter Rights Act, is now just decimated and begins attacking voter rights, looking for voter fraud. Voter fraud, which has never been proven, not once in the modern era has there been any voter fraud on a scale uh, that could have impacted the outcome of a national election. Just, it's never happened. The only fraud that's ever been proven around voter fraud is the fraud of the lie that there is voter fraud. That's it. Yeah. And this yeah. this storyline happens in the Bush regime, right? And, and really starts to, to get cemented into our institutions and within the Republican Party talking points. Uh, at that point, it's all about voter fraud and how Democrats are, are illegally voting dead people are voting and all this crap that's never been proven, but yet we repeat it on every election cycle that we have. And you're absolutely right. It is on repeat. Like they'll bring up these, these weird stories that so-and-so voted, uh, but they've been dead and they found, and that's the thing. They put that out there. Right. And then, then like a few days later, we'll find that that was false. But by that time, the shock and awe has already happened. Right. (laughs) And it's hard to get that information back out there again. Because people now have that narrative in their head that, oh, dead people are voting. And so that's what even, you know, not just people, not just Republicans, but just independents too. Right. Or any, you know, there are people, there are all people, people of all uh, political backgrounds that unfortunately fall for this, fall for this shit. So it's all that kind of, like we were saying, it's the off the ball action when the officials aren't watching. Right. Yeah. And that, that's where the Republican parties are playing at this part, uh, at this point. Right. We've, we've talked about the fact that the Republican Party is a minority party uh, that's really maintaining power through these kinds of techniques, right? Suppressing the vote, gerrymandering, and and maintaining power through power itself, not through the vote, not through a democratic process, uh, but by manipulating the system in such a way that they can control who votes. No longer does the Republican Party care about winning people's votes. 
That's not what the Republican Party is looking for at this point. The Republican Party is looking to disenfranchise as many votes as possible. That's how they win. It's, it's not about counting votes for the Republicans. It's about the uncounted votes. That's how they win. Yep. How does, uh, how does money in politics play into this? Well, I mean, it's a loaded question. It, it is a loaded question. And I, I think it goes, it goes away somewhat from the tactic of disenfranchising voters and, and comes back to how we actually run elections and the, just the massive amounts of advertising uh, that are pumped out. Yeah. And Bernie Sanders is really kind of the exception to the rule, right? Bernie Sanders is able to, to pump millions of dollars through his system or his campaign in, in a way that nobody else does. Really grassroots. Yeah. The, the rest of folks are, are doing what we've talked about all along, which is pandering to corporate interests. And the, the fact that, you know, corporations can dump millions of dollars into campaigns and then millions of dollars more into PACs allows for uh, disinformation on a massive scale. And, and that's really all we do now, right? Yeah. It, it's one negative campaign ad after another, none of which is telling us the, the full truth. They're, they're spinning uh, everything that they possibly can. Is it a full lie? No, probably not. Uh, but is it the full truth? Absolutely not. Uh, and so that that's how I see money and politics impacting us m more than anything else is really around how we get information and, and how that information is spread. That's an interesting uh, take on that question, because I was kind of I, I, I'm, I'm kind of along, along those lines in answering that question is uh, but I kind of go more towards policies and what they would, what candidates run on. Right. Because if the Republican Party or um, really even the Democratic Party. Uh, starts running on universal health care or Green New Deal or whatever, they you know starting to adopt some policies in their in their party that are against corporate interests, and so I could see why that kind of benefits corporate America th these tactics because they don't have to present any ideas to the American people. They don't have to present any anything that's uh, trans transformative, right? It's just this regressive party, and I think that corporate interests uh, benefit from that and elite benefit from that yeah well i think it comes back to we create a narrative that that's really about dividing the working class uh and and taking focus off of the working class uprising right like that that's the whole focus of people in power at this point is ensuring uh that the workers of the world do not unite so as, as long as we are continuing to have conversations around LGBTQ issues and racial mm -hmm. issues and uh, immigration, then we are not dealing with the fact that Jeff Bezos does not deserve to have more money than small nations. Right. And not to say those issues aren't important, of course. They, you know, it, it just, you're right. It, it just, that is just that, that it pits, uh, it, it's the whole logical fallacy of you're either with us or against us, sort of thing. It's black and white. You can only have, um, one, but you can't, you know, the other, that sort of thing. You have to choose a corner. And yeah, the guns are pointed at working class to working class, but not, you know, I shouldn't say pointing guns, but the, the pitchforks aren't out, so to speak, right? <laughs> well, they're out. Um, they're just out at your neighbor. Exactly. There we go. That, yeah, exactly. So 
when I was reading through some of the things you put down, one one thing that uh, uh, jumped out at me in particular was McCain versus Obama, um, and I, I particularly remember that time. And you you would put on here something that I can't quite remember is the Acorn uh, issue, the Acorn <laughs> with, conspiracy. Yeah, with James O'Keefe, right? Is that right? That guy. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, where they went in and secretly taped a bunch of these acorn workers and secret. Yeah, it was secretly taping them um, and you know oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. setting yeah. them up by you know asking how to how to tax their child prostitution and yeah. trafficking schemes and all this kind of stuff, right? Like just ab- absurd crap. And you yeah. know, it it really was an attempt to uh, attack an organization that had up to that point registered millions of voters over, over the course of a, a year. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and primarily those voters were people of color and, and poor people. And what do you know? Republicans don't like it when people of color and poor people vote um, because they don't vote for Republicans. Uh, and so all of a sudden there was this huge attack on ACORN. Um, and, you know, there's, there's no evidence whatsoever during that time uh, that ACORN activities resulted in a, in a single fraudulent vote not a single fraudulent yep. vote uh proven based on acorn's activity yet through those taped sting operations if you will edited that's why i say like you they, know secret because yes. they're they edited they were yeah. to make it was disgusting it yeah, was absolutely they, disgusting. they were edited so the content was not even what was happening but ultimately they shut down all of acorn's funding um, through all the grant funding and everything else that was going to Acorn that was uh, giving them this opportunity to help with housing and job placement and voter registration. And they just shut them down, right? Shut them down by continuing to push this false narrative. Even after the false narrative was clear and evident, uh, they continued to push that uh, conspiracy yeah. theory uh, in terms of uh, them just bringing millions of fraudulent votes to the table when that was just not true. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing during that, that time period that I, I think we, we have to talk about is the fact that, uh, that n- nobody that I've heard is saying this, but the truth is Sarah Palin was Donald Trump before Donald Trump was Donald Trump, right? Like I was just about to bring that up. I saw, I caught that out of, I caught that one. I was like, that that's, that's a good one to bring up. So keep going. Yeah. Well, Sarah Palin, was the ultimate non-PC politician, right? She she just loved to say shit that nobody else was willing to say. And, you know, she also had the ability, she utilized Facebook like nobody had at that time. And, you know, Twitter wasn't really the thing that Twitter is now. Facebook was kind of the social media at that point. And Maybe she even utilized the Facebook at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and the truth is that, that she showed the power of Facebook and, and one of the, the best examples, something that you still hear to this day is this idea of death panels, um, which Sarah Palin really took viral through her use of Facebook. Um, and, and that kind of social media platform, with with a large following and started to push this narrative that uh the the obama care 
was going to create death panels or these panels that would review uh, someone's health and decide if they were worthy to live, basically, which was this narrative that just played out over and over and over and over and over again during that time period. She also was a birther. She also had uh, claims around uh, gun owners were going to be forced to wear bracelets to identify them because the Democrats are always coming for your guns, which... Nobody fucking wants your guns, but do you really need that many guns? And do you really need an automatic weapon? And, you know. But how dare but, you ask those questions? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? If you want to go hunt a deer, I'm good with it. But do you really yeah. need an assault rifle to hunt a deer? Like, who who's out with a semi-automatic fucking rifle to hunt deer? I, I'm not sure anybody is. Just saying, I don't, you know. I don't need to get into we'll, a gun we'll get, rights. We'll get into that issue at some yeah, point. Yeah, we can get into gun rights at some point. Because it's probably a good one. But, yeah. I mean, she had these wild fantasies about bracelets and registries and all this other shit um, that was just off the wall. Yeah. And then the last one, which you, you have brought up before, was the, the Reverend Wright dog whistle. I don't even know if it was the dog whistle at the time. It was a bullhorn. It was a bullhorn. Yeah. Yeah. And it got, up, got brought up with Raphael Warnock, didn't it? Is that... Yes. Didn't that get tied to him? Yeah. Uh, Kelly Leffler. It's amazing. Amazing. Amazing those bullhorns, huh? Um, yeah, absolutely. And so it's amazing. Like I think about that, that 2008 presidential campaign and how the parallels between, of course, you know, like you're saying with Trump, but also like back then, like Obama ran against, I would say against that in a sense. I mean, like, I know he ran against John McCain, but that rising tide of like this bonkers craziness that John McCain, unfortunately kind of enabled that Obama, that Obama was was more of a, a popular popular uh, candidate, obviously. So it's amazing what a popular candidate like that can, you know, can beat that back, right? Um, whereas you see in 2016, <laughs> Hillary Clinton was not so popular. And that was because it also, you know, years of attacks against her, but also she was just, yeah, she was in that campaign. She was just not, not popular in 2008. She was just wasn't popular as well running against Obama. But I think that speaks to the populism of Obama and his ability to beat that back but anyway you know i also i i think that sarah palin was before her time um yeah be, you know i i think you look at the mccain campaign and there, there's really a tale of of two parties which were that story is still being told right mccain really was an example of the establishment party individuals who were still willing to compromise who respected the democratic process and the process of governing. And then you, you bring onto that ticket to appease the base, uh, this wild mouthed conspiracy theory spewing crazy ass person, um, at, to represent the, the radical side of the party, right? The, the part of the party that was starting, uh, to really percolate at that time, uh, not fully brewed, but they were definitely percolating. And I think that story has played out, but John McCain definitely lost that election, not due to his, his own failure, in my opinion, uh, but because the party put Palin on that ticket with him. And he allowed that to happen, obviously, right? Yep, yep this absolutely. Is, this is the story of the Republican Party over and over and over again, which is the moderates allow kind of this batshit crazy wing to, to do their their dirty work for them, but then they get pulled into that deeper and deeper and deeper. They get pulled into that until you have uprisings uh, which, on capital grounds. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And which, you know, to, speaks to the point, you know, with 2012, the 2012 election when uh, Romney ran against Obama, they introduced Palin into in 2008, that crazy radical craziness. <laughs> I don't know what else to say on that, but, um, and then, then the party was, was hungry for that, or the people, people, uh, Republican voters were hungry for that. That was introduced. They're like, God, finally this, somebody that speaks to, yeah, not PC. And then it's like, then, then yeah, Romney and Paul Ryan. And then, yeah. So that's what I mean. Like, you know, in, in the 2016 election is God, then you had Hillary Clinton who just, like I said, just was not a popular candidate. And again, it was through, through attacks throughout the years, but also just, it, she just didn't appeal to to a lot of people i think and there's just been this she has this weird relationship with the uh uh with the with people you know american voters and so in that election you have this now this rising populism of donald trump uh among the republican party going against this pretty unpopular candidate uh the establishment candidate and oh boy i think you know i remember you and i had talked about that this is not a it's kind of could be a recipe for disaster I think Hillary was a recipe for disaster because I think most people saw Hillary as a step backwards. Um, yeah. And, and as much as, you know, Hillary wanted to play up breaking the bla- the glass ceiling, uh, the truth was that people knew Hillary. People felt like Hillary was establishment and legacy. And uh, I don't think any of that played to what the American people were, were wanting which was radical change. And I think that's why Bernie did so well in the primary uh, and the establishment really had to fight him back in some pretty questionable ways. Um, And then you also have a a radical in Trump and the fact that Trump was willing to say the things he was saying about Washington, which many people on the left believe too, right? That Washington's a swamp. Well, even, Um, even Obama was saying things like that too. Like, I'm going to uh, put reinvest back into Main Street and get the hell out of K Street. That, that appeal, that anti-establishment appeal, anti-elite appeal. appeal. Yeah, where Hillary is, is the, right. the picture of elitist, right? Oh, yeah. And when that's we... the thing. It's like you point to candidate. Yeah, I think people still would say, what would you say? Who would you say the elite candidate or elite politician is? I think people still still would point to Hillary Clinton. Yeah, the, Clintons, the Clintons yeah. in general, I think, Clintons for sure. General, right. It's been nice. Uh, <laughs> walking back through the uh, presidential races and how voter fraud kind of uh, uh, played into all that. Any any other final thoughts on voter fraud, Sean? No, nope, I think I'm good. All right, well then let's wrap up and wrap down. And we'll do our what we're looking forward for the next week. What are you looking forward to? Uh, over the next week, sleep uh, is one thing I'm looking forward to uh, for sure. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing how people respond to uh, this new COVID relief package. I'm I'm really curious what it means for schools. I'm also really curious what it will mean for us pushing out vaccines uh, because there's there's a lot of money to to try to help that process speed up. And I, I'm really hoping that 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 push out is uh, effective quickly. Uh, so I, I'm also really thankful that we're going to support uh, states because the the decline in, in tax revenue was really going to create major uh, difficulties for states uh, and them being able to support the populations that that live within them and, and the social safety nets uh, that states are so important uh, in supporting. So uh, I think that that's a really big thing as well. Yeah. And, and how Alaska is rolling their 
how they're rolling out the vaccines there. That's quite interesting. And, and the, um, how indigenous tribes have played a big role in that. Yeah. Well, you know, everywhere that, that I've heard the, the most effective rollout of vaccination has been in indigenous communities. Um, indigenous health systems have, have just done an amazing job in terms of, uh, meeting the needs of their population. So it's pretty great to, to see that system working for those populations and, and really shows us that maybe we need to take a look at how our own system functions, right. Uh, from a national perspective, uh, because most tribal systems are what we would consider socialized systems, shall mm -hmm. I dare say. Uh, and they were <laughs> yeah, ama amazingly effective, uh, at pushing out the vaccine. So, and we're seeing that in other countries that have more socialized medicine that, that they do have a more centralized, a kind of process and getting vaccination out that's been more effective. And speaking of, you know, speaking of what we were talking about a few weeks ago, I hope that is something that we do look at. We do look at after the pandemic is our healthcare system, right? I hope you get some sleep though. Me too. We all need some sleep. <laughs> me, me too. It's been, it, yeah, it's, it's been a while since I got a good night's sleep. Well, for me, what I'm, it's not so much what I'm looking forward to is just seeing these reactions from the Meghan Markle interview with Oprah and the, the royal family fall out of this and, and just seeing the, the reactions from the right wing in the UK and England and the right wing here with like Ben Shapiro, that crowd. It's like, how dare you say the symbols of colonialism and empire would say something racist. <laughs> um, they were pure and they reign over others. Like, how could you ever think they would say something racist? It's kind of interesting that unites the right wing in the UK and the US. Amazing. That's that's what unites unites the right wingers is that it's like really, dude, really. Uh, the the colonialists, right? Yeah. yeah. And I just have to say. Meanwhile, uh, Ireland looks across and says, "Yeah, that that's what we've been trying to tell you for hundreds and hundreds of years about these people." <laughs> I gotta say, my my aunt's gonna kill me, but sorry to my loyalist uh, ancestry from England and Northern Ireland, but I'm siding with the Irish rebel ancestry in me, and of course, you know, being an American too. So, <laughs> I gotta say, yeah, down with the the uh, monarchs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think that is a system that has outlived its years. Nonetheless, uh, I finished my winter quarter in school, so looking forward to two weeks off and St. Patty's Day next week. Speaking of which, maybe it's a good celebration to topple, be toppling the crown. <laughs> and hopefully some... And don't we have a Seawolves game coming up? Yes, I was going to say that. It was in my next breath, actually. And hopefully some Seawolves wins during that time. It's going to start. Steven, have you been to a Seawolves game yet? I have not. I've been you've been trying to get me to go to one for quite some time now. Oh, what do you know? Well, leave this leave this in because you're coming with us. There'll be a record of it now. <laughs> yeah, that's on record, and everybody else knows too. That's listening. In the middle of the pandemic, we'll take you to a crowded stadium. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it is going to be interesting how that plays out. Yeah. Well, anyway, final thoughts, Sean. Yeah, my my last final thought actually comes back to Stephen and just saying thank you. I really enjoyed getting to hear the work you did in your in your debut episode, and uh, I'm glad you came back. I'm glad you let me come back. It was it's been fun already. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that you, we didn't scare you <laughs> with our a lot, lot of ums. Had to work through that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love that you said you got to to a point where you could actually see the um. Mm -hmm. Hey, that's some skill, man. See, I would have left it in. I would have been like, I, I don't know, what, you know. 
Um, well, anyway. Uh, Don't say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. I want to. I want to. I want to end everything on a big old. Um. There's there's one for you. <laughs> but no, much appreciated, Stephen. Really, really, really is. And um, so glad you're part of the team. Anyway, I hope everybody else gets some sleep out there. And you all stay brilliant and beautiful. This has been Triple Up Politics. See y'all later. Thank you.